chapter 5, verse 38, 42. All right, so if y'all guys say, oh yeah? yeah. <laughs> Real Presbyterian? Come on, wake up. <laughs> there we go. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, 42. I'm going to read y'all follow along, okay? This title of retaliation. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Verse 40. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And all that people said. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your generosity in giving us your son and for today's grace and today's new mercy. Lord, we can do nothing without you. And we love you and we thank you that you are so good to us that you really are a faithful Father. And so like the songs that we've sung, we can't wait to be with you one day. But until that day happens, until that day comes, I pray for our faithfulness. I pray for obedience. I pray for unity. I pray for just godly fellowship and just the common embrace of your son Jesus Christ from both universities, both different uh, campus ministries. And whether today would be a day where we are edified, but where you are glorified. So again, we thank you. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Okay, so do you know what our problem is? Don't you need to say, what is your problem? Okay. My point, exactly. And you all are thinking, do not open that door. I got so many problems. A lot of problems. Let me tell you what our biggest problem here is right now, especially according to this text. Our biggest problem is that we're all haters. We hate a lot and we hate well. Okay? We hate a lot and we hate well. We hate so much that we can hate someone who just exists for no reason. They've done nothing to us. They've never given us any attitude. They've never given us, given us any stink eye. They just exist. There's no reason and yet, that person in the same room, we hate them. That person goes to the same school, we just hate them. We just are good at hating. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're too good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's hard. We hate them. We hate them because, you know, the way they dress, the way she does her hair. Right? Girls, right? Right? The way he walks, the way she laughs, the way they are, we hate it. We hate them. We hate their families. We hate their dogs. We hate their ancestors. We just hate them. Right? We hate their lives. We just hate them for some reason. For some reason. Our reason. I don't know. But we do. And because we just do, it's enough of a reason for us to justify that hatred. And so we tell ourselves, you know what? We can't love everyone. We tell ourselves, you know what, I'm just human, right? To err is human. Or, you know, we simply have these apathetic responses. Whatever, I, don't, I just don't care about him or her anymore. Like, I, I just don't care about you, right? We're apathetic. We have these responses. Because you know what's crazy about this? It's just so easy to hate, isn't it? It's easier to hate than to love. It's easier to hate than to forgive. It's easier to hate than to embrace. It's easier to hate than to extend compassion. It's just easier. 
I hope you guys realize that that's our hearts. That's what we're dealing with. That's what we're constantly dealing with. So it's easy to reject someone and cast them off as that guy or that girl that we'll just forever despise for whatever reason. And then you're, we have a problem. Now, granted, some of you guys hate people because you were hurt by them. And as if they literally have said something to you or have done something against you to legitimize your burning contempt and hatred for them. Maybe they said, you know what, they, they've insulted you. They've insulted the way you look, right? Maybe they overstayed their welcome at your dorm. Maybe they're always eating your food. Maybe there's, they're always borrowing your detergent and your shampoo or things like that, never replacing them. Maybe the person is constantly, maybe they're constantly trying to compete against you. Right? You're like, what? <laughs> Back off. We're all in the same boat here. They're competing against you, and they just love it whenever you fail in any way. What? You didn't get 100 on that quiz today? What? And they gloat. Yes. Right? They gloat at your academic failings. Maybe you just hate the person who seems to, I don't want to have life figured out. You know that whole person? Like, they have amazing hair. Right? And they're always looking good. Right? Their hair never looks greasy. Right? And then they're always, they look impeccable. They're always smiling. They're always nice. Guys love them. Girls love them. All that stuff. Right? I mean, they're just like, they're awesome. They seem like they've never struggled a moment in their lives. Right? When their parents come visit, the parents don't just visit, but they're also like happy. The parents are happy. Like they actually love each other. It's an intact marriage. Right? There's no financial hardship on their part. Tuition was paid for. Everything they have, they got a new car in their sophomore year. And while you have to go around to keep mooching off of people or dare I say walk to class. Right? We have reasons, I'm sure. You have reasons, I'm sure. We hate our parents sometimes for not being the way that we believe they ought to be. We hate our siblings because they're not the way that we think they should be. We hate people. We just hate and hate because it's just easy to hate. Now, if you have air in your lungs, you've hated someone before or you're hating someone right now. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Okay, thank you for your honesty, sir. Let me tell you, universities are quite toxic. Because imagine for a moment getting thousands of recent high school graduates who lived at home, food was taken care of, rides were given, allowances were distributed, schoolwork was monitored, and now you have all of a sudden this new chapter in your life where thousands of you were thrown into a mix of confusion, fierce competition, and uncertainty of your identity, chaos of intellect, darkness creeping into your spirituality, your worldview and your philosophy of life shattered and questioned, and all of these things. So yeah, things get a bit tense here. They do. And that's where we're at right now, you guys. It's the reality of our human condition. It's where our hearts can often be found centered on. And until we understand what it is, until we understand where it comes from and what it does to us and how we can find freedom from this, it will plague you for the rest of your days to the point that it will not only devastate the relationships and the friendships that you have with one another, but it will also fragment the very fellowship that you have with God, all in the name of hatred. That is just so easy. You see, hatred isn't some acid that destroys whatever it's poured onto 
No, hatred is also the very acid that slowly but surely erodes even, even the vessel that it's poured out from. Yourself. So let's get right into it, shall we? Say, okay. okay. Alright. All right. So this section here is talking about revenge. Can you say revenge? revenge. We love revenge, don't we? Like, as a society, we love revenge. Stop lying. As a culture, we love revenge. We're hateful people. We just love revenge, the idea of getting back at someone or getting even. You've heard that, right? Don't get mad. Get even. You know, whenever I get into a discussion with my wife, okay, discussion is a nice way of saying a disagreement, which is a nice way of saying a dispute, which is a nice way of saying a discrepancy, which is a nice way of saying an argument. So we, whenever my wife and I have an argument, okay, whenever we have a conversational divergence, <laughs> she'll win because I'm an idiot. Okay, she will 99.9% of the time win, and I'm, I'll just kind of foolishly jibber, jabber, and whatever I want. But where I do win, okay, is in the bathroom, in the shower, because it's in there that I'm having these arguments. Okay, I'm having these arguments of what I should have said, and all these things, these brilliant, you know, amazing, quick quips and retorts. I was like, yeah, I said this, now I've done her. And she was like, oh, you're a brilliant husband. Like, you have won and defeated me, and everything like that. So, and I would say, yes, I got you, I got you. I showed her, I showed her who's boss, you know? So that's me while I'm just like washing my hair. <laughs> it's, it's so sad, but, have you guys ever done that? After an argument, after an issue with someone and, and you've lost, okay? You go back later on, maybe at night you're just like rolling around in bed and just thinking, if I just said this, oof. If I just, oh, why, why did I think of that? You do that, you do that, revenge. You know, one of my favorite movies, or one of our, our favorite movies, because you'd be fooled not to like it, this movie Taken. Yeah, have you heard of it? Taken? All right. That's the idea. I would be praying for energy and for life. <laughs> have you guys seen the movie Taken? There's a sweet, sweet quote that I'm sure all of you guys have heard. It says, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that will be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. <laughs> Revenge. And we watch that. And we're like, yes. Liam, get him. <laughs> and I got to tell you on a personal note. As a father to a daughter, it became so real that if that ever happened, I was thinking of, while I was watching that movie, I was thinking of, I would, as a pastor, I would destroy that individual. Looking like those holy employees. <laughs> but revenge. It's just so easy to hate. But man, is it easy for the thought of revenge to arise. So it seemed like what, what the audience heard here from the teacher of the law, okay, in this text, was that God established a law, he established a bill, a legislation that issues the right to get even. That's what the teachers were saying, that's what the audience was reading. 
an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That makes sense, right? I mean, it's God, he made it to law. And it was an actual law. It's called the law of retaliation. But this is where we have people kind of misinterpreting it. That law and that statement, it didn't give people the right to go and exact revenge and get legal revenge. Instead, this law acted as a guideline in terms of within the confines of the court of law. Okay? It was a guideline for sentencing. In other words, it was the limits that were put, placed upon individuals or situations for the punishment of the criminals. So let's say, for example, someone steals an apple. Right? Stealing is bad. Let's say they, get, they go to the court. They won't execute him. Right? They're not going to put capital punishment on him because he stole an apple. So this law was to kind of say, you know what? Let the punishment fit the crime. Does that make sense? Okay? So you steal an apple, we're going to slap your hand. You murder someone, then yeah, we're going to exact capital punishment on him. But our good friends, these religious scribes and Pharisees, man, they just love applying these statements into their own personal ethics. So they thought, okay, wait, hold on. If the perpetrator would get punished under the court of law, a punishment that fit their crime, then certainly it would also make sense for us to apply the same rule in the realm of personal relationships. If it was going to happen, if they're going to say an eye for an eye in the court of law, then why can't we just do it here, outside? Why can't we just do it between mono and mono? You hurt me, I get to hurt you. If God is, is sanctifying, if he's saying it's okay to do it within the court of law, then you know what? We should be fine doing it between you and me. An eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Even though the law itself was specifically forbidding acts of retribution. There'll be no revenge is wrong. Jesus says it's wrong here. Now, there's some confusion here as to what he says in verse 39. It says, do not resist the one who is evil. Everyone say, say what? Do not resist the one who is evil. Does that mean when someone says, hey dude, after this GCF meeting, they said, hey dude, let's go like rob a bank. And then let's go get drunk and start punching people in their faces. Are you supposed to say, well, I'm told by Jesus not to resist you. So when and where do I meet? <laughs> is, that what, is that what Christ is saying? Let's just go do it? Let's go be complicit? Of course not. Nor is this a call for pacifism either. That we just act like a bunch of sanctified doormats. No. Whenever there seems to be a contradiction or some sort of uncertainty or ambiguity in Scripture, what do you use? Let me give you a tip. Use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Okay? Can you say, use Scripture to interpret Scripture? So if you read the Bible, you'll see that God, He judges and He deals with evil all the time, doesn't He? God hates evil. God hates injustice. God deals with evil all the time. So no, we're not supposed to just go along with evil. But we're also told to put to death the deeds of the flesh. We're supposed to object to evil as the norm. So what is this verse saying? What is Jesus saying here? Simply he's saying this. Resist, which in Greek means to set against. Okay? So to set against evil. In other words, the one who opposes you, the one who wrongs you, Jesus is telling us, 
don't set yourself against the one who wrongs you. In other words, don't exact revenge. Don't start a feud. Don't start quoting lines from the movie Taken. Don't start fighting someone who hurts or even violates your rights. That's what Christ is saying. So what was Jesus' point here? Well, he actually gives us several situations to really dig into this teaching. And the first one is this, a slap to the face. Who here has a slap in the face? Turn to your neighbor, I'm just <laughs> I'll be honest, I've been slapped in the face. Not because I'm a dog, okay? I've been slapped in the face during Taekwondo. Okay, Taekwondo, it's an extinct form of martial arts. Back when I was young, back when I was young, as a Korean male, okay, much like how violent and extra tutoring were forced upon us, so was Taekwondo. I did it. I did it to appease my father. I did it reluctantly for six years until I got my black belt. By the way, I was the worst Taekwondo player, personality, person ever. Okay, I had the worst forms and everything. But I had this verbal agreement with my dad, which was the moment I got this cursed belt, that I would forever quit. And never put anyone I loved in the anguish I had to endure. Okay? So that was my agreement with my dad back in the Asia, back when I was like 11 years old. So I got my black belt, and the next day I quit. I said, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya. And I walked away. And that's not the end of the story because. In one of my Taekwondo days, there's something called sparring. You guys know what that is? It's a form of legal supervised child fighting. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay because we're all wearing helmets, right? Well, I hate to brag, but uh, I was totally whooping up on this girl. Uh, <laughs> in fact, she was the master's daughter. But I didn't care because, you know, like a good guy, I don't discriminate. <laughs> so, so I was literally and figuratively kicking her butt towards the end. She got so mad at me because that's just how good I was, right? And, you know, and she came up to me and she got up close. And by the way, um, in Taekwondo, especially unless you're like pro or something like that, you're not allowed to punch anywhere near the head or above the chest. Okay. Again, I don't know what the actual rules are, but according to our whatever rules. You're not allowed to, no neck jabs, no eye gouge, no punching or anything on the face or the head or anything like that or the back of the head. Well, this girl that I was royally beating up, okay, you guys stop judging me. She and I were the same belt, by the way. Same height, same build, whatever, okay? <laughs> so she comes up to me, and because she's being frustrated, right, she comes up to me and she slaps on her face. She just comes up and she slaps me across my face. She slapped me and I'm just there stunned. Oh, dear. You slapped me. Like I had just destroyed this girl and instead of humbly admitting defeat, she comes up to me and she slaps me. This was both illegal and hurtful. <laughs> so let me tell you something here. A slap to the face is a well-known expression, isn't it? Oh, he didn't come. Are you serious? He didn't pick up for that day? Man, that is a slap to the face. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You said you, you made that, you made fun of the way that she dressed? Girl, come on, that's a slap to the face. You can't do that. She's your friend. Right, we say that. It's a well-known expression. 
for a reason, because it is super duper insulting. It's humiliating. And if there's any act that demands retaliation, you know what? It's going to be a slap in the face. You slap in the face, and I'm going to slap you back. But Christ says here is the opposite. In fact, you read, if you read in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, it describes what happened to our Lord Jesus. I offer my back to those who beat me. I offer my back to those who beat me, and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking, and I did not hide my face from spitting. Brothers and sisters, friends, turning your cheek is not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of being a holy doormat. It's actually a sign of strength, Christ says. One commentator said this, Jesus wasn't a doormat, he was an anvil. He was strong. Jesus is addressing the issue of dignity here. You get slapped, it's humiliating, isn't it? It's like you're losing your dignity. Sure, it's demeaning to people like you and I. That day when I got slapped across the face, back when I was in, what, 6th or 7th grade, it was humiliating, but you know what? Let's look at the context here. To the Jews, okay, because this is spoken to the Jews, a slap was the most contemptuous and demeaning act to do to someone. Like, if you're fistfighting someone, at least it meant that you're equal. But to slap someone was meant to say that you're below me, you're trash, you're human garbage, you are nothing. In fact, even slaves, if they were bad, if they were somehow just disobedient or rebellious, even they would not get slapped, they would get whipped. Because it was that demeaning. Now maybe for some of you, you felt that your dignity was wrong because of some altercation. Because of someone who was talking bad, behind your back. Maybe someone belittled you and publicly humiliated you. Maybe your church did that to you. Maybe someone from this campus or this ministry did that to you. Maybe your roommate did that to you. Maybe your parents or your friends, they just robbed you of your dignity. And you're embarrassed. Who do I turn to? They just robbed you in the most demeaning ways and all you can think about was not only are you just crazy and just feeling what are we doing hopeless, but you, just, you would love to just get them back. If someone slaps you and demeans you, Jesus says, mm, take as much as they want to give. You do not retaliate. Are you kidding me? When they hurt you, when they rob you of your dignity, Christ says, take as much as they are willing to give, to unleash to you, but you do not retaliate. Why? That makes no sense whatsoever. Why can't we just get them back so they feel bad the way that we feel bad? Why can't we get them back so they feel the hurt that we feel? Then they'll learn, then they'll know, and then they'll stop. But no, Jesus is saying, don't get even because your true dignity, okay, is not going to come from him or from her. Your true dignity is one that comes from your known identity as a child of God made in the image of God, bought and bled and died by the Son of God. That's where you get your dignity, from Christ. You see, the dignity that you're so desperate for, the dignity that you want to remain intact and keep and hold on to, that's not going to come from the world, people. It's not going to come from amazing, perfect relationships and friendships and whatever you want, kind of respect and authority from people. You see, that respect, that dignity that you want so desperately can only come from the goodness of God's grace. When you know whose you are. Not just who you are, but whose you are. 
See, the dignity that you wanted, it cannot be held onto and bound by you in this world. So Christ says, don't even bother trying to keep it. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Don't try to hold on to it. Because when you relinquish yourself and surrender yourself and say, you know what? I want to give my dignity up. You see, something beautiful happens here because it will open up a way for the gospel to be heard. If you get hurt, then you get to suffer for his sake. But know this, this is what keeps your head up high, that you are fully and completely esteemed and dignified by the Father. So I don't need dignity from you. I don't need to hold on to whatever dignity I have left. I am dignified in Christ Jesus. Amen. Second situation is when someone sues us in order to take our stuff. Right now you're all thinking, Pastor David, surely I have the right to hold on to my own belongings. You get mad if I went to you to grab your phone or your purse or your backpack, wouldn't you? Jesus says, nope, you're wrong. Now, Jesus is saying, hey, if you want my car, then take it. Or if you want my house, then here are my keys. Take it. You can have it. The word coat here is the word for tuning. It's like the undershirt. It was long. Actually, back then, it was a full-length tunic. In fact, because back then, men they did not wear pants. So just imagine the long tunic, okay? And some people had multiple, but people who did not have money, they probably just had one. So the idea is that is this, is that they're in court, because remember Jesus used the word sue, right? So they're in court setting. So there is a court dispute. So maybe you're being sued for everything, for everything. And you have nothing left to give the person who is suing. They've taken everything from you. The only thing you have left is what you're wearing, your tunic. So this verse is literally saying, Give him the shirt off your back. Now, Jesus is saying, give your coat, give your tunic, give your shirt. Now, for us, it doesn't seem like a big deal, right? You want my shirt, I'll give you my shirt. No biggie. But for the Jew, here in this type of setting, after you've been sued for everything, and now you have to give up whatever clothes you have on. I mean, just think how embarrassing, how devastating this is. It's one thing to be sued for everything that you have, but it's another thing for them to say, you know what? I'm going to take that too. That would mean that we would be left naked, empty, ashamed. And the idea is that Christ is saying we're called to give up our last bit of security. Your last bit of security for the sake of reconciliation, for the sake of peace, give it up. The very thing that you hold near and dear to your hearts, our things, give it up. So how do we demonstrate that giving up of our authority? When someone at court sues us or wants to take everything from us, don't reluctantly give them your shirt or tunic, but do it without expressing anger or bitterness. They take everything, and you say, here, take this too. I'm going to take everything from you. Take this too. I'm going to take your car, well, take this too. Why? Because first of all, it demonstrates that you are actually sorry for the entire situation that led to the appointment in court, but that you're also willing to go the extra mile for them. 
because of the word. As much hatred and anger and bitterness there is, you know that you value them as a person, as a, as a person made in the image of God. And you're willing to go the extra mile. Not only, yes, you can take everything because you sued me for everything, but you know what? I'm going to generously and I'm going to lovingly and I'm going to wonderfully and graciously give you my tunic to take this rug, take this system. And it will shock them. But not only that, it will show them the love of Christ. So the first two are dealt with dignity. It dealt with our security, but now Jesus is talking about there's a third point, our freedom. Can you say freedom? <laughs> Who likes their own time? Having their own time. I guess it's hard, right, in college time because you don't really have your own time. Because you always end up with a roommate or something, or a sweet name. So it's difficult, right? So how many of you guys have like a favorite Netflix show? And when that when you watch that show, you're like, if you talk to me, I'll destroy you. <laughs> right? We have that attitude. No interruptions, right? When I'm at the gym, you put your headphones on, you're like, don't bother me, don't disturb me. When you're impressed with your family, it's family time, it's the evening, and you're saying, don't interrupt me. When Jesus Christ was carrying the cross and he was struggling, the Roman soldier told Simon, hey, carry the cross for Christ. This act infringed on Simon's liberty, his freedom, Simon, so he got angry. He got angry and irritated that the government would ask him to do this for someone else. It's like, I'm not on death row. I'm not the one with the issues with all the people. I'm not the one where the mob is chanting, crucify, crucify. I have no part with this guy. Why are you asking me to carry this cross? I have nothing to do with him. And now I'm swept into the mix. Who cares? You see, we get angry when, when people and their time, their issues, and their problems, and their messes, their whatever gets tangled into our business, doesn't it? You know, I actually grew up saying this a lot. And I learned this, I'm going to blame this on my cousin because I learned from him. But whenever a situation happens, I say, this sounds a lot like a wine pain, not a man. What's a wine pain? Your problem, not my problem. <laughs> whatever business or issue that you have, don't bring it my way. Don't bring them my way. You got tears to cry? Well, leave the drama for your mama. Right? If you got an issue, there's a tissue. Don't come my way. Don't come my way. Don't bring your nastiness, your drama. Don't bring all those issues my way. It's your problem. So you deal with it. Leave me alone. But Christ tells us to do something different here. He says, you know what? Not only do you, should you get tangled with that, but I want you to go the extra mile with it. Extra mile. Praise be to God in Christ. He didn't just go the extra mile with us, but He carried our burden to the end. Amen. Mm -hmm. Brothers and sisters, don't be concerned about your right to freedom. This is my space. This is my time. Your freedom was given for a purpose. Your freedom was meant to be used to extend grace and mercy to those who need it. Who need you. Who need Christ. Go the extra mile. Don't get upset with the person who invades your spot, space, and time. Instead of getting mad, help them. Push further into their lives. Speak greater truth and wisdom and love. Press deeper into your relationship with them. And then, and only then, will you see the amazing work of God's power. Transform His and her life. And your relationship with them. My last point is this. The fourth situation that Christ speaks on is on money. Turn to your neighbor and say, more money, more problems. 
But we are a possessive bunch of people, right? We like our money. We like our money. So don't mess with my money. I mean, you're talking to a pastor here, okay, who has a congregation, and guess what? Northbrook ministry to revolve and to continue on for things to work and for the lights to be on and all that stuff. It requires donations. It requires tithing. It requires offerings and things of that nature. And so, yeah, guess what? There's a reason why Christ spoke on money so much. Because money is really the thing that captivates our hearts. But here's the situation. Let's say you see someone in need, like a homeless person. Rather than the first thought of, oh man, they look emaciated, they need food, or man, look at that tattered clothing, they need new clothes to wear, or man, it's about to rain, it's freezing, it's cold outside, they need shelter. What, what, do, we, what do we do? We say, oh, you know, if, I help, if I help these beggars, it'll, just, it'll make beggars out of them. Why does Jesus mention this here? Because we still all have a tendency to get a little bit more callous each and every day because of our desire to hold on to our possessions. We want to hold on to our money. We want to hold on to our resources. Do you think people naturally become more generous as they get older? Yeah, right. They don't. Jesus will not allow us to get callous and cynical towards the needy while being poured over the blessings that somehow we have deceived, have deceived ourselves from things that we've earned. In fact, if you believe that you shouldn't give to the beggars, and by the way, a survey has been done where even Christians, over like 75% of Christians say they would never give to a beggar. <coughs> Why? Because we have this idea that if I give them a dollar, if I give them five bucks, they'll use it for drugs, they'll use it to feed their addictions, they'll do this, they'll do anything but help themselves. Brothers and consider this. How many times has God lavished you with His grace? How many times has the Lord lavished upon you His blessings only for you to use it for your own self-purpose? Think about it. God says, I'm going to give you this talent. Use it for my glory. Use it for the sake of my kingdom. Use it to advance the gospel. And we say, oh, you know what? I'm going to use this for my own personal ambition. God, you are out of this picture. God says, you know what? I give you the ability, the mind skills, the, the connections to find an amazing job. And you'll be making more than six figures. And I'm going to lavish you with financial blessings so that you'll be a blessing unto others. And what do we do? We just... Do we support the local church? Do we support missions? Do we support those who are in need? No, we, we kind of feed into our own addiction of shopping, eating out all the time, entertainment, all that stuff. Nothing to do with God. Brothers, what people do with the money that you've given them has nothing to do with you, but everything to do with your understanding. That's why not too long ago when I was walking in the streets of uh, D.C. and I was walking with a friend and I gave a dollar to a, um, a homeless person he said, okay, well that's going down the toilet. And I said, who are you to decide for me what, when, or when I should give? If I want to give out the generosity of my heart, so be it. It's his decision to do with that dollar what he wants to do. But you know what? 
I want to give because I want to give. Brothers and sisters, Christ wants to give and he lavishes abundantly his love and he cherishes you and he blesses you and he keeps you and he maintains you, not because of what you will do with it, but because of who he is. Because he is who he is. A God of grace. A God of mercy. A God who just loves lavishing his babies. And all I can say is moments like that is God, how, how could you do that for me? And then a wretch like me. How amazing is your grace? Why is this less important for us then? Look, is, is Jesus against injustice? Is he against defending ourselves? No, of course not. But I believe that these rights that we have, the right to dignity, the right of security, the right of freedom, and the right of money or possession, all of this is to highlight the fact that if there was anyone who had any right to any of this, it was Jesus. If anyone had the right to be angry, okay, and to unleash his legions of angels to wipe out the opposition, all those who mocked him and ridiculed him, it would be Jesus. If anyone had the right to say, you're messed up, you're wrong, and I'm right, and I'm the victim, it's Jesus. <laughs> and yet he doesn't do that. He doesn't hate on people for their wickedness, for their duplicity. He doesn't rag on people or say, I can't trust you anymore. No. He does what he does, and that is he just loves. He keeps loving. He keeps sacrificing. And he keeps walking the extra mile. You see, he keeps going. And that's really the spirit of the gospel, isn't it? You see, you see that Abraham, despite the fact that he was cheated by his nephew Lot, Abraham still rescued, rushed to rescue him. Or how about Joseph, whose brothers hated him and sold him into slavery, and yet Joseph, when he was confronted by his brothers, he carefully forgave them and then invited them closer and into their homes. Or how about King David, who after being chased by the crazed Saul, not only what spared his life once or twice. Brothers and sisters, this is one. This is how many. Revenge, hatred, bitterness—it's all ugly. And the smallest tiny bit can pollute our hearts and souls. But brothers and sisters, if that's your problem today, tonight, and you got something that's marking up your life, it's not therapy you need, it's not more counseling you need, it is repentance. You must go before Christ and say, take it from me. <laughs> and instead of replacing me, a heart of peace and of grace and of mercy. Our ultimate dignity, freedom, and inheritance, brothers and sisters, it does not come from this world, no matter. But it comes from knowing who you are as a child of God. Now it may not make any sense whatsoever to die to yourself and say, why should I play, why should I let this person keep doing this? Or why should I try to make amends with this individual? It doesn't make any sense for me to die to myself. But let me tell you this, it didn't make any sense for the Son of God to take on our sins. It made no sense whatsoever. <coughs> made no sense that he left a state of glory into a state of humility. It made no sense whatsoever. It made no sense that the Creator became the creation. It made no sense whatsoever. So why do you do it? Not because we are owed it or deserved it or we're lovable by any means, 
but simply by the goodness of his heart. Simply by the goodness of his grace. The kindness of our Lord. God, he loved you by giving us the son who died for you. So here's the application. Go and die to yourselves to display that same love to others. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, instead of fighting for these rights that we think we deserve, I pray that we would live for what is right before you. And what is that, Lord? That is the spirit of humility, that spirit of forgiveness, of gentleness, of love to those who are perhaps even set to do harm against us. Who may still lie to us, who may still cheat us, who may still kind of rub us up the wrong way, but Lord, nor for us to be truly your sons and daughters of the Most High, we have to see them the way that we see them. And I believe, and I know, and this is your promise, it's that when we do extend grace to them, they will see the wondrous, forgiving love of Christ Jesus. And the Lord, for me, it pains my heart because I am in the same boat as these brothers and sisters here, where we, man, for us Christians, we preach the forgiveness of God, yet how often and how hard is it for us to live that way? We live so unforgivingly, Lord. We literally destroy almost the validity of what we're, of our, of what we're testifying. And so God, simply put, this is as simple and straightforward as it gets. May our living match our message. That people will see the forgiving Christ and the forgiving Christian. So we thank you that dignity and security and freedom and our resources, Lord, that that can be taken away in this life. But regardless of whatever happens, no matter how difficult circumstances may be, no matter how unjust life can get, Father, I pray that like Christ here, we would never retaliate with less than love. So we thank you, we bless you. And I bless this gathering here of brothers and sisters as well, that you continue to speak truth and life into us and help us to now live it. We love you, and you trust your prayer. Amen. Amen.